Welcome to Gleaning and Gathering. My name is Eric Heimlich and I'm your host today. And today I'd really like to continue the conversation that I started last time on the church and why it matters. You know, one of the conversations that I've had probably a hundred times if I've had it once is with uh, people who are involved in churches that are wanting to reach out to their community. And they want to reach out and they want to make a difference in the lives of people that are around them. But invariably, they come in contact with the issues that you are going to encounter if you're going to be working in the world. And that is the broken systems, really, that are around us. I remember a few years ago, uh, there was a, a guy, he'd missed the, the, the soup kitchen there at the, uh, the church where we were meeting. It wasn't affiliated with us, but uh, it was meeting in the same building. And so um, I encountered him. They had just finished, and uh, so he was uh, out of luck, uh, no food for him, and so he was uh, more than a little disappointed. And so I said, "Hey, jump in the car. We're gonna we're gonna go, and we'll uh, we'll get you something to eat." And so on our way to Burger King, I was talking with them, asking him if he was from the neighborhood. He said no. He had just gotten out of jail. I asked him what he was in for, and he said uh, non-payment of child support. I said, "Really? How many kids do you have?" He said, "18." I said, how many babies mamas? He said, nine. And I asked him, how far are you down? He said, 54,000. I said, how much do they have you for a month? And he said, $850. And right now he said, I I can't get a a legitimate job. Uh, Anything I can get is pretty much has to be under the table because all my wages get garnished for uh, back payment. And I I can't even live. I, I don't. I can't get a place to stay or anything because I can't put together enough money to be able to, to even survive. And so periodically um, they, they pick Dave up and throw him in jail. Uh, he spends a few days in, loses the job that he did have and gets out, starts all over again. And uh, that's how that works. And again, you know, what, what is the answer for deadbeat dads as they call them? What is the answer for a situation where You've got 18 kids by nine different women. How do you fix that? I asked him in the end, I said, what, what were you thinking? And he said, I wasn't. He said, I was young and stupid, and now I'm paying for it. You know, sin makes these really, really complicated situations. And trying to address those issues, the issues that you're going to encounter when you reach out to a community, means that as a church, we really have to take seriously that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we have to start with that question. What would Jesus do when he's confronted with Dave's situation? What is God's wisdom as it relates to this problem that we have in our society? And how can we lovingly and responsibly address it? It's not enough to just say, be warmed and be filled. It's not enough to just say, well, we'd love to see you at church on Sunday. How are we, as God's people, going to address the needs of this single mom, of these kids, and of this dad? And so really trying to take that seriously um, and, and to try to bring the wisdom of God to a situation like that um, is uh, is a challenge. 
the way that the world deals with the system or, or deals with the situation is really not to deal with it. You know, the prosecutor runs on a platform of we're going to be tough on crime. We're going to crack down on these deadbeat dads. Well, that sounds good, but the reality is Dave, you know, you throw him in jail and that really fixes it because now he can't work at all. And so really creating a system that a man has to take responsibility, he has to go to work. And if he's not willing to go to work, then work will be provided for him. He will be ordered to work and there's going to be an opportunity as well as consequences if he doesn't. This is just one example of many challenges that we are going to face if we're going to reach out into a community that is full of brokenness. And so the question that we have to begin to ask as the people of God is how far do we go and what is our responsibility to that single mom with three kids that's part of our congregation that's struggling to keep a roof over her head and has turned to things that are not right, wholesome, good, in order to be able to provide for herself. What is what is our responsibility? I remember while we were working in Indianapolis, there was a, a single mom who had spent over a year bouncing from one homeless shelter to the next as she'd been part of our congregation and finally was able to get a place of her own. But she was always just kind of one step off the street and she was trying to do the best that she could with the limited resources that she had. The father of her children was in prison, and so she was living in a very poor inner city community. And for a period there, um, she was uh, she was selling herself to be able to keep a roof over her head, and that was how she was trying to to make it. And I remember her coming coming to my wife and I after service one Sunday and saying, you know, I, I realize I've got to stop. I, I have to, but I don't know what to do. I'm not sure w- what do I do. And so helping her didn't just mean saying, be warmed and be filled. God bless you. And I, I hope you'll come to Bible study on Wednesday night. The spiritual realities of her life intersected with the economic reality of her life. And so if we're really going to be the people of God together with someone like her, saying to her, you know, we've got these wonderful religious goods and services that we would love for you to come and be part of, but you're going to need to figure that out. We don't do social service here. That wasn't an option. You know, certainly there are social services out there and things that um, hopefully people can access to be able to to get some of those needs met. But if we are the body of Christ and members together one of another, then what we need to be doing, the things that we need to be focused on, are not just having church, but are focused on making disciples. And to make disciples who will take seriously that the church is a family. You know, we sing songs like, I'm so glad to be part of the family of God. But what is our response when a brother in Christ says, you know, I just lost my job today and right now we're behind on our mortgage and I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. Is our response just to say, you know, I'm so sorry, brother. We'll pray for you. Which has the subtext. 
That's all we're going to do. We're going to pray for you, which means that you're on your own. Good luck with that. I hope it works out. But when you lose your house, you're not moving in with us. I, I recognize that there's a, there's a challenge here. Because if everybody's riding and nobody's pulling the wagon, it doesn't work. And so helping people to be responsible, to take responsibility for themselves, I think is, is part of good kingdom economics. Taking seriously that uh, everybody needs to be paying for what they use. They need to be pulling their own weight. And yet at the same time, they're not alone in that. That together as God's people in a place that we are committed to each other at a deep level. And as long as there are diapers for my baby, there will be diapers for yours. As long as there's food in my pantry, there's going to be food there for you. And that we are radically committed in love, not just to creating these impersonal systems where, you know, if there's enough money in the benevolence fund, we'll help you. But where we take seriously that we are the body of Christ and members together, one of another, that we belong to each other and to Jesus. And that if you're committed here to the body of Christ in this place, then we are going to do our absolute dead level best with the resources that God has provided to us together to make sure that there is no need named among us. It's a real challenge. Right now, we are walking the road together with a family here at Victory Acres. I've known the father for a long time, since he was an eight-year-old boy in inner city Indianapolis. And they're here walking the road with us at the farm right now. And loving people and walking the road with them means that there are times when you have to have really hard conversations. Conversations about economics. For the past two months, instead of sleeping in their car, which is where they were before they came, they've been here living in a uh, 10 by 16 cabin here at Victory Acres and uh, walking 75 yards or so to the bathroom. It's been cold outside. It's been warm on the inside. It's well insulated. There's heat. There's safety. There's a lot of things that they were missing before, but it's a challenge. They were both able to get employment here in the local community. Both of them have been working uh, full-time, but up till this point, uh, they've been unable to save any money towards getting a place for the future, and they've been unable to put any money towards the costs here related to their current situation. And again, because we love them, we speak the truth in love. Ironically, this podcast was interrupted uh, to go and rescue this family from their third breakdown in a week. Uh, about a week ago, um, the wife ran out of gas on the way home from work and so went to help her get that taken care of. And then in the process of the car running out of gas, they also ran the battery out of juice. We jumped it, got it home, but uh, that, uh, that afternoon discovered that the alternator had gone out as many times as the case with an old battery um, and you've got an alternator that's kind of living on the edge it uh, it pushed it over the edge and so not only did the battery need replaced but also the alternator needed replaced and so the cycle continues but because there was no money to be able to buy 
a battery to be able to get the vehicle back on the road again. Um, I was helping them get to and from work, both of them. Um, we've got uh, two different shifts that they're working and kids that need to get to school. And so it, uh, it cascaded into my week. And so midweek, we had a come to Jesus meeting where we talked about uh, what are we doing with the incomes that we have. And we looked at uh, all of it and uh, put it put it down on paper and saw that 43% of everything that came in last week went to food and consumables. Another 25% uh, went to, uh, to things that uh, are consumable in one form or another as well. And so you've got 75% of all income from the past week that are going out on things that will not come back. And that's, uh, that's not covering any costs for, for housing, for utilities, for maintenance on a vehicle. Uh, the oil hadn't been changed in over a year. And so, you know, there's, there's a multiplicity of issues here. But the biggest issue is that our resources are not going to the things that are actually going to get us to the finish line that we both agree on. We want a place of our own. We want to be able to have a roof over our head, to be able to provide security to our children. Uh, we, we want that. They want that. Um, but with the current choices we're making, we're not going to get there. And so we had a really, really tough conversation about that. So trying to help people uh, always is dangerously close to enabling them. And so if you're not careful, the safety net becomes a hammock and people just uh, take the path of least resistance. And that's the reality. And there are reasons why people don't have any money. Um, and so if you've not learned to save and that's not been a virtue in your family, endeavoring to take the money that you have and defer the current pleasure for a future situation is, is not a principle that uh, you know many have learned. And so as a result of that, uh, the, the willpower that's necessary to say, no, we are going to stay home tonight. We're going to make beans and rice and we are going to survive today so that we can have a brighter, better future tomorrow is not nearly as appealing as just going and getting supper at Taco Bell. And so it's a whole lot easier. And, and so as a result, uh, the path of least resistance is that uh, we just go get Taco Bell. And I, I watched it again and again. Uh, in, in inner city Indianapolis as was, we were in relationship with a lot of people who um, struggled. And so the village pantry became their grocery store and going there and picking up whatever they could, could get because it was within walking distance was, uh, was what they did rather than going and making healthy choices uh, in a place that would mean a, a drive or a trip on the bus um, they just uh, took that that path of least resistance, you know, and it's really easy to uh, to stand in a place of criticism over that. Um, but the reality is, if you didn't have a vehicle that was working and uh, you had just uh, spent your day trying to uh, grub out an existence and this is where you are and this is what's accessible, uh, you might do the same thing, too. So how do we help people to help themselves? And again, it's helping is always dangerously close to enabling. And the idea of enabling, you know, typically is used in, in addiction situations where you have someone who will pick up the slack, someone who will take care of it. And so the, the person in addiction knows that the rent will get paid um, because um, this enabler is not going to 
uh, let the rent go unpaid. And so I can go spend my money on these other things. There was a situation in Indianapolis where there was a single mom came to us needing food and uh, we began to dig in as we always did to, you know, where's the hole in the bottom of the boat? Do you get food stamps? Yes, we get food stamps. Well, why do you not have enough? And how much do you get? And she told me. And then the story began to come out slowly that, no, we, I took the food stamp money last month and sold it on the street so that I could buy crack cocaine. And that's the reason we're here today, asking the church for money, for food, for my kids. And while I care deeply about those kids, and I desperately want to make sure that they are taken care of and that they are fed. Help does not necessarily look like me springing into action, going to the grocery store and making sure that we buy them all this food. Because the hole in the bottom of the boat of mom selling the food stamps on the street is going to be there next month. Because if I enable her in this moment by taking away the responsibility that she had to provide for her kids with resources that she had in her hand, I am enabling her, I am telling her, next month, you can do the same thing. And most likely she will do the same thing. And so I think the challenge in in these situations is not uh, necessarily um, to just meet the immediate need. That's not what I'm saying. Because I think there's a deeper issue And so if we're going to really help people, it's going to be very, very close many times to enabling people. And so taking away that sense of responsibility, you know, one of the things that we talked about last week in our come to Jesus meeting was the fact that, you know, if you were staying in a hotel every day, there would be a manager calling you up and saying, okay, do you have the money? Checkout time is at 11. Are you planning on having another night? And you, you have to have the money. You know, you're going to have to have the $111 or whatever the cost of that room is if you're going to stay there another night. There is that constant reminder. And so if keeping a roof over your head and over your kid's head is important, then you're going to find a way to do that. And you would find a way to do that. But because you don't have that, because you don't have someone every day saying, okay, where's the money for rent? Your immediate need is met, and so therefore these dollars are are being diverted into other things that you would not do if you had to make sure that your, your basic needs were met. And so we both agree that you want a place long term. This is important. And so how do we help in a way that's helpful? And so how do we do that in a way that doesn't take away agency? So, you know, one option would be you know, give me your paycheck and Pastor Eric is now going to administrate your funds. I don't want to do that. First of all, I don't want to do that because uh, I don't want to be in that position uh, responsibility wise. But I also don't want to do that because um, it takes away agency and they need to learn the lessons of the hard way sometimes. And so there's a, there are times when, you know, a need is presented Hey, we'd like for you to do this. And I say, no, I'm not going to. I would love to help. But right now, if I do this for you, it's going to ultimately undermine your ability to do for yourself. And so I'll provide you with an opportunity. 
um, here's a way that you can work and earn some money, some extra money, but I'm not going to just give you this. And again, I think preserving that relationship uh, is also involved. And so not just taking away agency, not just saying, okay, you know, here, I'm going to treat you like you're five years old. Give me your money. I'll take care of it for you. And at the same time, not just giving them a pass. A few years ago, uh, there was a situation where we were working with uh, a couple and uh, we had a plan. We had a plan how they were going to use their tax check. And, you know, they had borrowed some money to try to just make ends meet and and uh, had uh, money that they owed on utilities and some other things um, in terms of uh, back rent. And, and so there was a significant bill that had built up. The plan was that we were going to take, they were going to take a significant portion of their tax check, their tax return that they were getting, and that they were going to pay off that money. And then they were going to build some capacity. They were going to use some of it to buy a vehicle that uh, they were really needing. We had a plan. We had a plan in place until the uh, rubber met the road. (laughs) And uh, they made a choice to, instead of doing what we had agreed on, to go uh, and do an end run and go to Jackson Hewitt, get their money immediately on a card, uh, rather than putting it into the savings account that we had agreed on, that would be a, a, a dual signer account. Their name is on it, but uh, their funds would not be accessed without uh, authorization. And they chose to uh, to do an end run and take the money, get it on a card, and it all went up in smoke. And nothing was done with the past bill. Nothing was done with their current obligations and the vehicle that they were needing wasn't purchased and they expected me to just say oh pastor eric you know he's such a kind-hearted person he's just gonna smack us on the hand and and we'll go on and i didn't i reluctantly but lovingly evicted them i asked them to vacate and if they didn't have the money by a certain date that uh, they were going to have to find other housing accommodations. I love them. I care deeply about them and continue to be in relationship with them, but I'm not going to fund foolishness. And so walking that road, loving people enough to have hard conversations and to show them that there is always a road of repentance, there is always a way back. And yet at the same time, not just rolling over and doing whatever it is that they want to do. Because doing what they wanted to do was what got them into the spot that they're in right now. But at the same time, making sure that we're always taking seriously that we are the body of Christ and members together one of another. And so helping people to help themselves should be our goal. And just like the little red hen, Dr. Stephen Gibson wrote a book a few years ago entitled Help from the Little Red Hen. And it's been a a great resource and a book that I've shared with uh, with many, many people, it, it always goes back to relationship and it always goes back to opportunity. You know, that's what the little red hen did. Who will help me plant the seed, she says. And of course, no one wanted to. Who will help me water the seed? Who will help me, you know, care for the plant? Who will help me harvest? She provides opportunity all along the way. There's an opportunity. She, you can work together with the little red hen. 
she's got work to do and nobody wanted to. But when the bread was finished, everybody wanted to show up. And that's one of the reasons why communism doesn't work. (laughs) Everybody wants to ride the wagon when the wagon's moving, especially when it's moving in a direction that we like. But who's willing to help pull the wagon? And because we are fallen human beings, our tendency is towards selfishness. Our tendency is toward this path of least resistance. And so as we are walking the road with people, as we are in relationship with them in community, as God's people, there have to be some boundaries there. And that's one of the reasons why capitalism and free will uh, work together, because people have to choose. There is a certain sense of a personal responsibility that if a man will not work, neither should he eat, that drives them to get up and get out of bed in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go make this happen. In Indianapolis, we, uh, we had a, a store, and for a period of time, uh, we, we operated Victory Village Shop. And uh, it went through many different iterations, but uh, ended up being a micro-enterprise incubator. And uh, we uh, endeavored to provide space to various vendors, and they would sell things that they would make, and in the process, uh, hopefully help themselves to uh, to better themselves and and we did some good work there uh, Jim came in one day he needed some money for his prescriptions for his copay and he asked me if I would uh, if I would buy something from him and and he had this you know cute little thing made out of chicken wire it was a little chicken wire sculpture and I was like Jim sit down talk to me about this how do you do this and uh, at this time Jim is sleeping in an abandoned car and he is uh, making things out of chicken wire and selling them on the street and just a, a really quiet, um, unassuming Vietnam War vet. He's, uh, he's eating his seed money uh, constantly. And so he would make something out of chicken wire, he'd sell it, and then he'd spend the money immediately. And he wouldn't have any money for any more chicken wire. And so that was kind of the end of that. And so uh, we offered Jim an opportunity we said, Jim, you can come, you can work here in the in the warm and be out of the cold. And we're going to take 25% of everything you sell to buy more materials for you and provide you with a place here where you can sell uh, your items. And 75% of everything that comes in uh, will be yours, but uh, we're going we're gonna to make sure that you've got seed so that you're not constantly eating your seed money. And uh, it worked really well. He, he sold hundreds of dollars of items, and we were able to help him get housed as a result of that and get off the street, and it was just a real success story. But I think it was a real example of, of the things that are important in this, and that is that it starts with relationship. It starts with really caring about Jim, and it also starts by uh, doing this in a way that's sustainable. How can we do this in a way that we can continue to do it. And so us just taking 100% of everything that Jim uh, brings in and giving it to Jim is not in Jim's best interest. And the reason is that, um, you know, we can't do that again and again. There are social service agencies out there that are like, well, we'll just give people free bus passes. Well, that's fine for the first, you know, 100 people that come in to claim them. But can you continue to do that indefinitely? Does it work? No, it doesn't. Not unless you get some free money from somewhere that's not really free because there is no such thing as free money. Somebody's going to pay for that. And who is it? 
And, and where does that money come from? I remember there was another discussion in Indianapolis and we were sitting around talking about a need that had come to us. There was a single mom whose gas was being shut off and she was going to need to, uh, need to have some help if, if it was going to, if they were going to be able to keep the heat on. And she had come to the church. And so, uh, Pastor Gibson had brought this to our, our team meeting and we were sitting there and he said, you know, she's going to need, uh, I don't remember the amount, but $250 to be able to get the, the gas turned on. And, and so what do you guys think? And there was uh, one lady there who was currently living in a situation that she wasn't paying for. And she listened and she said, yeah, yeah, I think we should do it. <laughs> and so Brother Gibson asked the obvious question. Okay, well, how much are each of you going to give? Because we are the church. There is no benevolence fund here. And that's the problem is, is that many times we've made this sort of an impersonal thing. You know, let's just put money in a benevolence fund and then, you know, it, it just comes out. It just, it just happens. But what I'm talking about is God's people working together in such a way that when there is a need, we respond personally, that we are the ones that reach into our own resources and that we are the ones who are together providing for that need. It's not just an impersonal thing. It's not just a thing where, you know, sure, why not? There's money in the budget for that this month. No. If there's a need and a genuine need, then we respond to that personally. And so as God gives us the resources and as we have the ability that we respond in a way that is many times sacrificial to meet the needs that are there, not out of a sense of, we're better than you are, but out of love, out of a heart of love. And I think that's what's missing many times from the social service equation. In Indianapolis, we had uh, what we called the the relationship speech. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was something that I learned from my friend Mike Bowling at Englewood Christian Church. You know, there were lots of people that would come asking for help. And people that we'd never met before, people from the community that would come to us and they would say, you know, I need, I need $19 and 25 cents. Always loved it when they added the change, uh, $19 and 25 cents, uh, to be able to get diapers for my baby. Okay. And so we would sit down and we would, we would have this, uh, this talk and it would go something like this. Hey Jane, I am so glad you came here today. Uh, it's great to meet you. Um, my name's Eric and, and let me just tell you a little bit about how we work here. You know, uh, Jane, we, we don't have a food pantry. We don't have a clothing pantry. We don't have a gasoline assistance program. Uh, we don't have a, uh, a diaper pantry. What, what we have here are relationships. And inside of those relationships, we've helped with food and with uh, clothing and with gas and with diapers. Uh, we, we just help people with those things. But l let me tell you what I mean by that. For, for us, relationships are two-way street. So it's not just about what we can do for you, but it's about how can we work together? Because I don't even know you yet, Jane, but I already know something about you. And that is that there's something of value that you can do that's going to be a blessing to our community. It's going to be a blessing to people uh, because that's how God is. He's, he's given all of us good, good things that we can do for other people. And in the process of doing those good things, we're blessed ourselves. And a lot of times people call that a job. But whatever you call it, it's a blessing. 
we're doing something to help somebody else. And in the process, we're helped ourselves. So we need to figure out what that is. We need to figure out how God has has blessed you and figure out how you can be a blessing to others. So it's a two-way street. It's not about us just given to you. We we really know that God's given you gifts. And and the second thing, though, is the relationships are based on truth and trust. And so for us, truth is really important. So Jane, I don't really care how bad the truth is. Like you can tell me that you killed two people and buried their bodies um, and we'll deal with that. But what we won't deal with are lies. And so if you tell us that something that's not true, we're done. You know, we can't deal and we're not going to deal. So we need to know what's really going on. Relationships for us are based on truth and trust. And so can I tell you something that I already know about your situation? Uh, Jane, relationships is what you need. And you want me to know how I, I know that? Uh, it's the fact that we're having this conversation. Because Jane, today if I needed diapers for my baby, something so basic to my life as as diapers for my baby. Right now I could pick up my cell phone and I think I could probably call 100 people at least, maybe more. But at least 100 people that would drive, that would wire me money, that would do whatever they had to do to make sure that I had diapers for my baby. You know the reason, Jane? I'm in a relationship with those people. I care about them. And they care about me. And as a result of that, I know. I could pick up the phone and I could call them and they would help me. And the fact that you're here today having this conversation with me somebody that you have never even met before is a testament to the pathetic state of your life right now. Because if you had those relationships, you'd be talking to them. But apparently you don't because you're here talking to me, somebody you've never even met. And don't get me wrong, Jane, I'm glad to have this conversation. I am glad to meet you. But Jane, let's be clear about the need here. You don't need $19.25. You need people who will care and who will walk the road with you and who will be involved in your life. That's the need. And the good news is, Jane, that's what we have here. we got a group of people that love God and love each other. And as long as there's diapers in my pantry, there will be diapers for you. And as long as I've got some food, I'm willing to share it. And as long as there's some gas in my tank to go somewhere, we'll figure out where we need to go and figure out how to get there. So if that's what you're looking for, welcome home. The door's open. And you are just as welcome as you can be. But Jane, if what you really want is $19.25 so you can keep doing what you're doing that's got you where you're at, um, I think the place you're looking for is the John Bonner Community Center. They do social service. Right across the street there, you jump through their hoops and you fill out their paperwork and you talk to their case manager and you listen to them and they figure out if they've got a program for you. Uh, I think that's where you're looking because that's what they do. They do social service over there. They're good people, and uh, I'm sure they can help you. Maybe if uh, you check the right boxes, but that's not who we are. We're a church. We don't do social service, and we don't really aspire to. We're a group of people that love God and love each other, and we're walking the road together. And Jane, if you want to walk the road with us, you are welcome. You are so welcome. So, welcome home. Is that something you're interested in? There'll be a conversation at that point. Yeah, that's something I need. No, not really. 
But if she says, yeah, you know, you're right. I, I don't have those relationships in my life and I need them. Great. So let's just take the next step here. Can I ask you a few questions? Sure. Do you have any chemical dependency issues that we need to talk about? Is there anything you're addicted to right now? And we just start a series of questions, really just trying to figure out where is the hole in the bottom of the boat? Who do you know? Where have you been? Who are you in relationship with right now? What church are you attending? Are you are you part anywhere? And if you're not, why not? Uh, again, it, it's a little bit like, you know, if your neighbor's son came over to your house and said, I need help fixing my bike. The first question that you would need to ask is not, oh, and do you need help with your math homework too? The first question is, where's your dad? And why isn't he helping you? And so if we hear, hey, here's a person that's in, in relationship with our friends up here at Neighborhood Fellowship, I'm going to have a talk with Jim Strudelmeyer. What's, what's going on here? How do you know Jane? What's going on? And we're going to make sure that, uh, that she's going back home where she needs to be to stay in relationship with those folks. Because we are not just trying to you know fill our church with people. We are endeavoring to walk the road with the people that God has given us to walk the road with. Again, if, if we find out that uh, Jane is actually in relationship over here, uh, with these these folks at the church across the way, but she's just kind of wandered over here into our backyard and is asking for help. We're going to talk about what are the needs that uh, have brought you over here, but uh, we're going to make sure that uh, she gets back home where she needs to be. So we ask some questions and sometimes find out, you know, no, she's not, uh, she's not connected anywhere. And yes, yeah, she's open to being connected here. And so we'll walk the road. And make sure she's got diapers and make sure that uh, as we continue to walk the road with her, that she knows that the love of God is revealed in the body of Christ. We're not going to just say, be warmed and be filled. But neither are we going to just hand a blank check to Jane and say, here you go. Have a nice day. Or even 20 bucks to Jane and say, have a nice day. Why? Because we care about her. And yes, it's a whole lot harder to have those conversations and, and then follow through on them and really love her, not just in word and in tongue, but in deed and truth, than it would be to just give her some money and get her out of your life. But if we really care and we want to see transformation in her life, then we're going to be willing to walk that road as long as she's willing to walk. This whole idea of moving beyond outreach is a book that I am uh, currently working on and hopefully we'll have it finished at some point. And my goal for it is that it would be a resource for churches to be able to think through the various issues that they're going to face if they're going to reach out and to be able to think about how together as God's people in a place we can we can think about housing and economics and employment and a variety of other issues that, that we're going to encounter from a biblical perspective and also from a practical perspective. What should our next steps as a congregation be? And how far is God calling us to go? Because I don't necessarily think that every congregation is going to arrive at the same place, and I don't think they should. I think every expression of the body of Christ is shaped differently. 
And so it could be that, you know, if you've got a couple of contractors in your congregation and you've got the capacity, the ability to be able to renovate houses, it could be that God has shaped you in such a way that housing needs to be a key component of, of the way in which uh, you engage with people in the world. But if you don't have that, it could be that you need to partner with somebody else who does. And so that's the desire that I have is that churches would begin to grow their local capacity to do what they can in the place where they are. Many times I have these conversations because, you know, they'll call me up and say, oh, Eric, you you deal with people like this. That's normally how that goes. People like this. And so we're just going to see if we can ship them to Victory Acres. Well, we're so thankful for the people that God has brought to us over the years. But frankly, brothers and sisters, there's not capacity here to be able to deal with everybody's problems from every place around God's green earth. And so what needs to happen many times is a a local church needs to begin to grow their capacity in their place to be able to meet the needs that God is putting on their doorstep and not just uh, exporting their needs to me. And so that's my hope is that we can have those conversations with churches to say, what do we need to do here? What are the next steps? Or, you know, maybe we don't need to do it, but maybe we need to partner with someone else here locally who is doing that. And how do we meet the needs, practically speaking, in our community and do it in a way that's sustainable? Do it in a way that at the end of the day doesn't break the bank, but also do it in a way that is relationally appropriate, that preserves the relationship. It's not just transactional. And do it in a way that edifies the body of Christ, that builds it up, that takes seriously the centrality of the church in God's plan. So those are a few thoughts. Um, There's a lot of issues and a lot of questions, and I would welcome you to uh, share your questions with me. You can do that by email You can email me at ericheimlich at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Um, I would be happy to interact with you on these issues. And, Lord willing, at some point, I'll get my book finished. And I hope that it will be a discussion starter for churches that are thinking about these issues. Something that they could sit down with on a Sunday afternoon and be able to discuss as a congregation in a way that would be helpful for them, that would be unique to them, and that they could uh, think about some of the questions, at least, that they need to be asking as a church to figure out what does it really mean for us to be the church in this place, to be the called out ones of God, and how do we make a difference in a way that would truly honor God. For gleaning and gathering, God bless.